So, as we as we turn in the in the Bible this morning and look at some things that we find there, uh, I, I often find you know remind myself, uh, you know, there are a lot of people tell you will tell you a lot of things, and I'm not just talking about scripturally, although that would be one way. Uh, but in the in this world, you, you know, we were talking to some people. You know, there's little sayings that people have all the time. You know, and but God's word is the truth above above everything else and so as we as we come here and we look into the things that are written in God's word then uh let's let's be reminded God's word is truth and let us find that as our anchor point for all that we say all that we think uh and let let the let the truth start guiding our thinking rather than what we imagine or what somebody else says or whatever it might be so uh last sunday uh, we talked some, from some things found in the third chapter of the book of John and from the 21st chapter of the book of Numbers. Uh, and we looked at a little phrase that we, that we honed in on there in the uh, third chapter of the book of John. Uh, it had to do with the, the little phrase, even so. Uh, in, in, that, uh, in that third chapter of the book of John, what we focused on was it says, as Moses, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And what we tried to talk about during the time of looking at this portion of Scripture was the fact that, you know, uh, I would say Jesus is, Jesus is doing the teaching, and Jesus is teaching us an example here. And he said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent <coughs> in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Even so, or in, in that phrase, even so, we mentioned last week, n- maybe not in every place in Scripture, because I can probably look at one, at one place where it sort of means because, but in, in most places it will mean in like manner. <clears throat> so when you see something, he's comparing two things, and the word even so will fall in between those two things, and he's comparing the two, fr- two points. And as you compare the two points, he says, even so, or in like manner as the first thing, so is the second thing. And so when we, when we learn to look at Scripture like that and we read things like that, I've, I've had so much fun sometimes doing th- studying the Bible to me. It's just like uh, the mo- one of the most fun things I get to do. I'd hope it would be like that for you sometimes. And, I, and as, we, as we try to preach and teach some things about God's Word here, I want to make it interesting. I want to make it fun. I want you to enjoy it as you look at things. Because sometimes when we look at God's Word, you know, we can get, you think, you know, and I think in our minds, uh, you know, I understand Chronicles can be a little, little uh, dull. Sometimes, you know, we're studying Leviticus on Wednesday night. Adam's making, Brother Adam's making it very interesting by the way uh so uh but sometimes we can get kind of bogged down in the words but if you learn to look at some of these little things that we find in there it really makes can make scriptures come alive for you in a way that maybe it doesn't uh, hasn't in other times so jesus t- uh, jesus tells us here in the third chapter of the book of john as moses lifted the serpent up even so, or in like manner, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so we go back, and we went back last Sunday and looked in that 21st chapter of the book of Numbers, and what we found was the people of God had been murmuring against God and Moses uh, for their food and what they were eating, and God was 
offended and tired of it, of listening, and he sent fiery serpents among them. And the Bible tells us that many of them were bitten, and many of them died. Uh, and not all, and and as the dying process is going on, people are some are dead, some are bitten, some are not bitten. The people then came to Moses and said, Moses. We, you know, we've sinned against God and we've also spoken against you, by the way. I do still think that's very commendable that they actually admitted, they confessed to him that uh, not only had they spoken against God, they'd actually spoken against him uh, as they were doing it. And uh, they were beseeching Moses for help and Moses went to God in prayer and God's answer to Moses would seem to be one of the most strange things that you could think of. But there's a lot of type and picture of Jesus Christ in the in the uh, examples that were set. Uh, so what he did was the thing that had bitten them, he says, I want you to make one out of brass. I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to go before the people and hold it up. And he said, those that are bitten when they look on it, uh, he says, they'll be healed. So there's some believing that has to be done. If you're going to look, you've got to believe you're going to get some help out of it. And we talked about the fact that there were probably people there that had been bitten that didn't look. We also know there were many that were bitten that were already dead. They didn't look. But those that had been bitten and, had, and looked upon uh, that uh, brazen serpent that was held up before them, healing came to them. Uh, I'm going to tell you today, uh, uh, we have been bitten by, by sin, uh, and Jesus Christ had our sins laid upon him, uh, and, in, and he came as, as a man, and in as like manner as you and me, now we hold him up, and those of us that have been bitten can look upon him, uh, and not to find eternal life uh, uh, in the sense of uh, being born again, but we can look on him and his uh, children that have been born again. We can find healing from our wounds because we find grace and mercy and, and peace when we look upon the risen Savior and see that he overcame sin for you and me. So even as the son, as uh, uh, even as Moses lifted the serpent up, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, not die here uh, in the old turmoils and pits of this world, uh, but have right now everlasting life. I want you to have everlasting life or eternal life right now. Uh, and I'm not talking about coming and making some confession. I'm talking about being in possession of what God has already given you. Just look upon him and, and have it in your possession even now. So, uh, so he, that word even so becomes kind of an interesting little phrase. And so what, what I want to do this morning uh, in the time that we have is turn over to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans uh, uh, and we're going to find this same uh, phrase laid in there. And I, I may do, unlike I did last Sunday, I may go and read the point uh, and then come back to it by uh, looking at some things that lead up to this point in Scripture. So uh, if we look over here in the uh, uh, fifth chapter of the, uh, of the book of Romans, and I certainly hope I can find the right place. Uh, yes, there's at least one. Uh, we turn in here and look at, look at the 18th verse of the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. It tells that we find this, this commentary or hear these things that the Apostle Paul had written. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, again, keep in, 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 in memory that phrase, even so or in like manner, as condemnation came upon all men because of the, uh, the sin of one man, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. Verse 19, for as one by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. So here we find that phrase again, even so, and it carries on over into uh, uh, verse 21. We find over there that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness, reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So uh, we've got here Paul now. Uh, Paul's so much, you know, Paul's taking a teaching example that we find laid out uh, in the scriptures by Jesus and now bringing it over into his writing and his teaching to those that are that are at the church at Rome. And so he had been talking to them, this whole letter of the book of Romans, and we've gone over some of these things uh, in the past, but it's good maybe to, to talk about it a little bit. The, the book of Romans, Paul is writing to uh, a what I call a mixed congregation. Uh, today we think mixed congregation, different thoughts comes to our minds uh, in in the world that we're living in today. But if it were if it were so here this morning, uh, it would be a blessing to me to be able to speak to a mixed congregation of people. But the the Roman folks is uh, is there. They were had the church at Rome was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And so uh, uh, as he was writing to them, you have a group of Jews that were thinking we are the people of God and they were uh, they were a blessed people of God Paul uh, goes on here in this Roman letter uh, as he begins to lay that lay out the fact that uh, both Jew and Gentile are condemned equally and both Jew and Gentile uh, as they show that they have faith the uh, the Gentile having shown faith by believing in the things of God, yet not having the law or the word of God. And so the question begins to form that Paul answers kind of the question in the third chapter of Romans and says, so, you know, uh, so what's the benefit of having the, of having the law? What's the, is, there, is there any benefit or blessing? Uh, and I'll read this. What is the advantage to the Jew then? If, if, if you've got Gentiles that have faith and have uh, believe in God and they didn't have the law, then what benefit is, you know, the, was the law to the Jews? And he goes on and says, much in every way. Uh, the fact that they just had the word of God, they knew how to sacrifice, they knew what it meant that sacrifice was something that led them to, uh, uh, that God required of us uh, to serve him. And so they were taught that in example over and over again. They were taught they had laws, unlike maybe some cultures of that day. They had laws. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt have one God. There is just one God. They had all of these laws written down. So they had a blessing. It was a blessing to them to know this, even though the, there were Gentiles that didn't have this, and God loved them anyway. Okay? And so as he lays out all of this here in Scripture in the book of Romans... Uh, and he begins to make this comment that God had a people among both Jews and Gentiles. <clears throat> and he says, he asked the question in the third chapter of the uh, book of Romans. Uh, 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, verse 28 of Romans 3. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So a man is declared just. Probably as we look on, on a congregation, you know, people this day and time, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're here in the church, you've probably heard the word justification. Uh, but if you're, if you're not, it's not a word that we talk about all the time, but it is a Bible word that's laid out here uh, for us to see. And so if you think about somebody who is guilty... Uh, in a courtroom system, uh, they stand. They need something that uh, they need a justification or a reason, if you will, to to declare them innocent. And so, uh, as he's looking at this terminology, he says that uh, he had concluded, as we looked across this scripture, and I haven't looked at. I'm not going to read to you and, and teach to you this morning, I guess, Romans 1, 2, and 3. Uh, but as we, as we get here to the end of Romans 3, he says, We conclude that a man is declared just or justified uh, or innocent. Uh, uh, I guess kind of innocent. The word justification, not exactly innocent. But uh, uh, guilty but let free. <laughs> uh, declared to be just uh, by faith without the deeds of the law. So he says... Is he a God of the Jews only? Question. Is he not also of the Gentiles? Question. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, the Jews, and the, uncircums- uh, uh, and the uncircumcision, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, but we establish the law. So he begins to, lay, begins to kind of set up this whole discussion here about... Uh, Faith is more is more important in in the eyes of God than keeping the law. Okay, uh, and he goes on and tells us here in Romans chapter four that faith uh, uh, is something that we have by grace, uh, and and we know salvation is by grace through faith, and that we understand these things, uh, uh, both the grace and the faith of Ephesians chapter two verse eight. Uh, being a gift of God because faith is a fruit of the Spirit. And uh, so you can't have faith without having been born again, okay? You can have a natural faith. We could look at that. I guess we can naturally have faith in things by the flesh. But we're talking about a spiritual faith in things comes about because you've been born again first. Uh, so he begins to lay this whole uh, thing out. And he talks about uh, Abraham had faith. In fact, not only did Abraham have faith, Abraham believed God. Abraham was told of God, uh, get up and leave the country where you're at and go to a place that I'll show you. Abraham believed God and got up and went, okay? Uh, I think there's a little bit, I thought about this as I'm reading this scripture. The Bible tells us faith without works is dead, right? So just because you have faith in God, you also need to be doing something too. You need to take your faith and make it active in your, in your life. So uh, I thought about this with Abraham. Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God. But if he'd, if he'd have believed God had faith in God and just stayed there in Ur of Chaldees, uh, he wouldn't have enjoyed the benefits that he got by getting up and following after God. So in a sense, he, he showed his faith and his belief by actually doing something. Uh, and I think that's what God expects of us too. You have faith, you believe in God, then get up and do something in your service and following God.
God, uh, just as we've had some here in the last few years, uh, in the last few months, have joined the church here and been baptized. You know what? They believed God. They got up and did something about what God had done for them. And so Abraham believed God. He got up and left Ur of Chaldees. Uh, well, uh, time passes on, and I'm going to give you an Old Testament uh, teaching from the book of Genesis, uh, instead of reading all this, it's laid out here in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 4. Uh, but uh, Abraham, time went on, and Abraham uh, had been told of God, uh, get up and leave Ur of Chaldees, and I'm going to give you a land, right? And he says, every, and he told uh, uh, Abraham when he got over there, every place your foot shall tread, I'll give it to you. All right? So now Abraham goes over. He walks throughout Canaan's land. He lived in tents and went and lived in this place and that place. And you can go and read all the adventures and how they went down to almost to Egypt and how uh, they were in the presence of Pharaoh and how they were in the hands of other other kings there, the Philistines and others. And Sarah sometimes acted like she was his wife and sometimes she acted like she was his sister and so forth because she was his half-sister, and so forth. Anyway, so she wasn't lying about it, but uh, got, you know, they were in trouble in various places over there. So, as time passes on, Abraham and Sarah don't have any children. And Abraham, like a lot of us, you know, you look around and you say, well, what am I going to leave? What's going to be left to my family? Who, who, what am I, I've got this stuff. What, who am I going to leave it to? Now, some of us aren't near as worried about that, and some of us don't have very much to leave anybody. But anyway, it's a whole other thing, right? Uh, but uh, Abraham says, you know, I've got this land, but the only thing, person that I've got in my household that can inherit this is Eleazar, my servant's family, because I have no children. Well, we won't go down the trail of Abraham and Sarah and Sarah's handmaid and all that stuff. But so God, Abraham begins to talk to, to God and says, God, I, I've got up. I followed you. I'm here. You've promised me this, this land to me and to my family and to all generations. This will be our land. But, oh, by the way, I don't have a family. <laughs> And, and so he began to seek God. God, please bless us with children. Bless me and my wife with children. And uh, after some period of time, uh, and I'll just put this the way all of us can understand it, Abraham and Sarah were past the age of being able to have children, okay, by, by nature. Uh, so the direct intervention of God was necessary for Abraham and Sarah to have a child, just like the direct intervention of God was necessary for Mary to have a virgin, to have a child whose name was Jesus, the direct intervention of God was necessary for Sarah to have a child because she was too old. Uh, by nature, she was too old. And so God in, uh, intervened in their life, and they had a child by the name of Isaac. But first of all, God came and told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child. And the Bible tells us Abraham believed God. Uh, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, and so as we read this, the end of chapter 4, I've gone through all of this. I probably could have read chapter 4, but hopefully my version of all the things is maybe makes a little more sense than reading some of this scripture. So anyway, it tells us here uh, at the end, uh, let's see... Um, Let's start with verse uh, 19 of Romans chapter 4. And being not weak in faith, 
talking about Abraham, he uh, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham didn't even consider that. Why? Because God said he was going to give him a child. Now, I'm telling you, that's, that's a leap in thinking for most of us. I, I, I'm just, just going to say it like, like I see it, I guess. Maybe that's my, my version of it here this morning. But just think about this. God said something that you, by your natural mind, so this is impossible, Right? It's impossible for this to happen. I'm going to tell you this morning, if you go to thinking with your natural mind, I'm going to tell you some other things that are impossible. It's impossible for this old dead body of yours, once it's laid down in the dust, to be raised up again and actually be a physical body. For you and I to comprehend that and think of that, it's, it's really beyond our, our, our thinking, right? And for us and for Abraham and Sarah in their natural mind, their carnal thinking mind, it's impossible for them to say, well, I'm 100, Sarah's 90, and God has said we're going to have a child, and my natural mind tells me that's impossible, right? But Abraham staggered not. At the word of God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He he had seen things beyond what maybe ever, you know, what he had ever imagined in in his own mind. He had actually seen that this God, this Jehovah God, this God that had appeared to him and told him to get up and leave his land and his family and he would give him a land for him and all of his posterity. This God was a God of his word and a God that would do what he said he would do. And so Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Righteousness was not only was it declared that he was righteous, but I believe God gave him more righteousness and declared to him, uh, I'll give you more righteousness in your life. You will do more right things. Think about this. Once you have seen God perform a miracle, your faith in God just grows, grows stronger. I saw him do it. I know he can do it. Abraham had seen God deliver him and carry him. He had seen God deliver him out of the hand of Pharaoh. He had seen him deliver him out of the king of the Philistines. He had seen God give him this, began to give him this land. And so he believed God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And so he didn't stagger it. It was given to him. He was more righteous in this. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. This verse of scripture totally went by my brain for years in reading this portion of scripture. It says it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that righteousness was imputed to him. It was also written for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Jesus Christ uh, was raised again and declared us just by his shed blood in the throne room of God. We are just 
as if we had never sinned uh, because of his shed blood. And do you believe that this morning? God will impute that to righteousness or righteousness for you just like he imputed it for righteousness to Abraham when he believed God, when God told him, you and Sarah are going to have a child even though you're 100 and you're 90, you're going to have a child and God imputed righteousness to him for that. And he says, God will do the same thing for you if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and raised you from your sins and this is not talking about making you a child of God this is not talking about if you believe this you will become a child of God it's talking about righteousness that God gives you because you believe what he said and what he said he did so God gives us greater strength greater hope a more righteous way of living in our lives therefore I now I've got to chapter 5 so he said y'all just we're going to burn this up through here. So y'all just hang with me. So therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So on one hand, we're declared just by the death of Jesus Christ and by his blood. And his blood has declared us just uh, in, the, in the, you know, and I use Brother Sonny Piles' old example, in the courtrooms of heaven where we're guilty because we're sinners, the blood of Jesus Christ declares us righteous because of his death for you and me on the cross. All right, but because of his death for you and me on the cross and because of the new birth and you and I have faith, when we exercise that faith and we use that faith like Abraham did or like maybe you and I have in believing that what seems to be impossible by the carnal mind it seems to be impossible that a man by the name of Jesus could have died for you and that he went into a tomb and he stayed there just three days and then he came out on the other side and for 40 days after he came out, he walked and talked and talked and to his disciples and to others that saw him there and to Thomas the doubter who put his hand in his side and in his, in his wounds in his hand, uh, he walked and talked and did and then we look over there in the book of Acts and we see him ascending up to heaven back up into the clouds, back to where he came from. You know, the carnal mind can't, can't comprehend and believe that. And that's the reason you have people today that, that talk about Christians and Christianity like this foolish cult group of people uh, that, you know, they believe somebody died and, you know, arose again. You know, why? Because they've never seen it. So they can't believe it. <clears throat> well, they've, they've, never, they've never seen a lot of things that they believe in. Uh, they believe in millions and billions of years that it took for creation. They've never seen it. They can't prove it, but they believe in it. So anyway, that's, that's a whole other trail. I won't even go down that way. Uh, but I believe the Word of God is true, and I believe that Jesus rose again and died for us, and we've got a historical record of people that saw it and believed it and wrote it down for us. So, so therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm telling you, believing in God gives you a peace Talking to one of my relatives yesterday, went to a little family reunion, me and my first cousins. It was kind of kind of good to see some of them. Uh, some of them are, I'm one of the younger ones actually, believe it or not. So they're not going to all be here forever. So it was good to see some of them. Again, saw one of my cousins whose husband 
died last fall, and uh, and she was uh, she was talking about she know how much she misses him, but she said, you know what? So you know what, brother Charles said, uh, I don't know how people that lose their loved ones and and don't believe in Jesus Christ and don't believe in the resurrection and don't have a hope of seeing their loved one again on the other side of this life. I don't know how they endure it. I said, I don't either. <laughs> right? But I'll tell you, it gives you a peace with God knowing that you're going to see them again. This world is not it, folks. This world is not all there is. This life is not all there is. We act like it is sometimes. Uh, we act like, boy, the more I can do here, the more I can get here. But you want to have a peace that passes understanding? When you begin to see and understand and believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died for you, and it gives you a peace within to know this world is not your home, and that you have not only that, you have peace with God. God, uh, the great lawgiver who condemns us for our sins, would have wrath against us if it was not for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We would stand guilty and we would deserve every ounce of punishment he could pour out, even the punishment of hell. We would deserve every bit of that, but the blood of Jesus Christ has justified us, declared us righteous, and when you and your faith in God gives you a peace with God, and it declares that you are righteous. Okay, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith. You know, we have peace with God, but then we also have access to God. Isn't that great? We have access to Him by prayer. We have access to Him by reading the Word of God. We have access by listening to sermons and hearing and believing. So he says, uh, we have access by faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we glory in tribulations. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paul. I, I was following you pretty good on this thing about having peace and about having access by faith and glorying in the hope that we have on the other side. But now you brought up, uh, we glory in tribulations also. I don't quite get that one, Paul. Uh, well, let's see if we can explain that. Paul had a reason why tribulations are also an important part of our life people today generally speaking as this, this is the, the a lot of you you know y'all get some of this y'all get the opinion of charles you know on some of this stuff uh but if i can back it up by the you know by things of the word of god uh and also our common sense will tell us many things right people today generally speaking want no tribulation no trouble. Don't let me have a trial. Don't let me have a problem. Many people even get out there and teach you from the Word of God. Can't believe they do this, but they do. Uh, uh, why, if you believe in Jesus Christ and if you've committed your life to Him, you'll have no more trouble. Balderdash, my friends. I mean, no truth to that. Not even Jesus Christ tells you this is not true, Okay. And Paul comes in here and says, we glory in the hope by the, by the faith that we have. We glory in the hope that we have that this world is not our home. And not only that, we glory in tribulation. Why, Paul? Because tribulation work is patience. Ooh, I ne we need, all of us need that. We need, uh, tribulations cause us to, 
It can, it can cause a couple of different reactions. <laughs> tribulations can make you mad. Our tribulations can teach you to slow down and seek God. Get down on your knees and be in prayer. Tribulations can humble you and cause you to look to Him. So tribulation, Paul says, tribulations uh, uh, worketh patience. Uh, and patience experience. And I'm, I'm going to go back. This, 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 this discussion right here that Paul is giving us is not divorced from this whole discussion in the fourth chapter of the, of the book of Romans about Abraham. Abraham had tribulation. You know what tribulation taught Abraham? It taught Abraham patience. And patience taught him experience. And experience uh, gave work, uh, uh, experience hope. And uh, his experience gave, saw his experience with God through the tribulation uh, uh, and, the, uh, and, and the problems he had. Uh, it says, tribulations work with patience and patience experience. And experience gave him hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Abraham learned by experience and by tribulation to have more patience and more hope in God. Okay? And says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die... Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Now, he lays out a principle here that sometimes somebody might sacrifice. You know, you got your good, you know, go back to the foxhole, right? You got your good buddy in the foxhole. The, the, the good guy, you know, the good guy might peradventure sacrifice himself and give his life because his good buddy over there needs his help. Jesus Christ, he says, died for you and me when we were the enemies of him. He sacrificed his life for his enemies, not for his good buddy, not for his good friend, but for those of us who were estranged for him, who were exiled to him. He gave his life for us in, in that time. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in, why, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were sinners, exiled from him, his enemies by nature, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood. There's that portion of scripture we were talking about earlier. Much more being now justified by blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're, you, mine, you're, we're going to be saved from the wrath of hell through Jesus Christ, through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, if we were reconciled, what does that word mean? If, if we had our sin debt canceled out when we were enemies, when we were sinners, uh, by his death. If we, if we were reconciled or had our sins wiped out by his death, it says, if the death accomplished that, let me, let me put it this way. If death accomplished wiping out your sin debt and you were reconciled, peace given between you and God, how much more, be, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If his death accomplished something that seems to you and me just almost great, just imagine what his life and his resurrection accomplishes for you. Because he, because he lives, you shall live also. It's nice to know your sin debt's been wiped out. Oh, thank you, Lord. I can, I can die at peace knowing I don't owe anything. Why? Because somebody else paid my debt for me. 
But you know, even much more than that, we're going to be raised again because of his life. How, and much more, much more. We're going to get the joys of eternity, of heaven, the singing, the angels, the presence of Jesus, seeing the throne room, being there forever with no sickness, no pain, no death, no troubles, no problems. All of that because he lives. Wow. Man, I, I mean, my sin debt's been wiped out, but I get more than that. I don't just get my sin debt wiped out. Because he lives, I'll be raised to be with him. And not only so, but we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That would have spoken particularly to the Jewish brethren that were there in that day, knowing that atonement was what the, the high priest did once a year to go in and make a sacrifice for sins. He says, we have received the atonement now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, by one man, follow this line of thinking and we'll... We'll get this, we'll close this out. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Who was that one man? Adam. By sin entered into the world by one man. One man transgressed the law. Eve was deceived. Eve was deceived. And you know what? We go back and we look at the things that are laid out in Genesis 5. Uh, I I love trying to teach some things. So anyway, so uh, we go back and look at what's laid out there in Genesis. God gave the commandment to Adam to, of all the trees of the garden, you can eat except for one. And so uh, Eve was probably told by Adam uh, after she was taken from his side. So she didn't actually hear God give the commandment. Adam had to have told her these things. Well, so now who did so who did uh, Satan pick on? He picked on the one that Adam told, and he and so he told her, God, you know, God hath not said, "Thou shalt surely die." <laughs> you know, so he 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 corrected what Adam had told her and began to tell her, and so she was deceived and partook of the fruit. But Adam knew exactly what God had said. And he transgressed the law. He disobeyed the commandment of God. Okay? Big difference. So, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now we start a little parenthetical expression, starting with verse 13. It's in parentheses, so it's going to explain... What he's just said. He's just said, As by one man sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. The law came in, to Moses, in Moses' day after they had come out of the Egypt, after they had come uh, in the, Exodus, the book of Exodus. So, But he goes on and says, For until the law, sin was in the world. So sin was here. All the way up to the flood, on the other side of the flood, through Abraham's day, through Isaac's day, through Jacob's day, 400 years in Egypt, up to Moses' day, sin was in the world. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. They were not held accountable as like Adam was for having transgressed the law because they didn't have the law. They weren't in the garden anymore. They couldn't transgress that law. They didn't have a law that said, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. So it wasn't imputed to them or held to their account because God had not told them this is wrong, okay? Nevertheless, let's read what it says. 
It was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure, he's a type, of the one that was to come. All right, so what did he just tell us? So they didn't have the law, it wasn't imputed to them, yet death reigned from Adam all the way to Moses. Why? Because they were sinners. They didn't have, it didn't take having the law for them to be a sinner. You know what made them a sinner? The fact that they were descendants of Adam who was a sinner. That's what made them a sinner. Okay? So he says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. We've got a type, anti-type about to take place here in the scripture. Not as the offense, so also is the free gift. If through the offense of one, many be dead... Much more, there's that expression again, I like that. Much more, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. He's beginning to set up a, a teaching lesson here for you and me. Even though people had not transgressed the law and disobeyed and done the exact same thing Adam did, they still died. And the reason they died were because they were sinners. But he says there were also, in line, as, we, as we read this here, he says the gift is much more. Up there above that, he said, you've been reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ, but much more we shall be saved by his life. Now he uses that same expression, much more. He says, the offense came uh, and many were dead, uh, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So many were, were blessed because of one man and the gift of one man by his grace. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. People came under condemnation because of Adam. Because of Adam's sin, me and you and all those since the time of Adam have been condemned to death because of Adam's sin. But we were sinners too, right? Okay. So he says, not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was unto one, was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So here you've got one man committed one sin and many died. The free gift is by one man to many offenses. Uh, but even though there were many offenses by one man, they got the, the gift, the one gift of free grace. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Adam represented you and me there in the garden, and when he sinned, we became sinners. Jesus Christ represented me and you on the cross. And because he lives, you and I shall live also. I mean, the type and the anti-type, the picture and the anti-picture are all so beautiful here of how God shows us. Uh, <clears throat> the first man in, over in the Corinthian letter, 15th chapter, I think it is, Paul says, the, the first man, Adam, is of the earth, earthy. The second man, Adam, Jesus Christ, is from heaven above. You and I, 
can look at this and say, we have the first man, uh, uh, we, are, we, the, we have the first Adam also. We are of the earth earthy. We have an earthly vessel. But we also have the second man, Adam, living in us by the new birth. And he's from heaven above. Whew, isn't all that pretty as you begin to look at all that? And he says this. Therefore, by the offense, verse 18, with the parenthetical expression ended at the end of 17. He was explaining about uh, Adam uh, uh, sin entering in by one man, uh, Adam. Therefore, by the offense of one... Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, or in like manner, the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. So now, here's my question, and we'll, we'll close this out, this even so or in like manner. I want you to answer for me this morning. Uh, it, it, not, you don't have to do it publicly, okay? If you answer in your mind. Tell me what you did to become a sinner. Did you confess you were a sinner to become a sinner? Did you have to believe you were a sinner to become a sinner? Did you have to be baptized to believe to become a sinner? Uh, just what did you have to do? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> you just had to be born into this old world of the descendant, a descendant of Adam, to become a sinner. Even so, by the righteousness of one, or in like manner. If, if you can tell me what you had to do, I can tell you what you had to do to be saved by Jesus Christ, okay? And the answer is nothing. He saved you because he represented you. Adam caused you to be die because he represented you there in the garden. Whether you wanted him to or not, Adam represented you. Jesus Christ represented you there on the cross, whether you knew it or not. He represented you there on that cross. And I'm telling you, just as not a single person has escaped this old world and death uh, because Adam represented them, not a single one that Jesus Christ represented will escape this old world without getting to go home to heaven, my friends. That's how sure. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Righteous. Therefore, the law entered in that the offense might abound. Why did the law come along? So that we would know right from wrong. It came into abound, that sin might abound. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, that as sin reigned, sin reigned, listen to this, sin reigned unto death. Even so, or in like manner, grace reigned through the righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ, our Lord. <clears throat> death reigned. Uh, uh, sin reigned unto death. But grace reigns unto life. By Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even so, in like manner, as sin reigned to death, in like manner, grace reigns to life. By Jesus Christ. If you can understand that, you can understand a lot of things that are written in God's Word and begin to rightly divide the Word of truth. I trust as we look at some of these things, even so, that God will bless you and bless me as we try to preach and teach some of these things to you. Uh, the last two Sundays and maybe another Sunday or so to come, we'll take a look at some of these beautiful even so expressions in God's Word. May God bless you.